Once again, we've come to the end of another liturgical year. And once again, the church asks us to consider the end of the world. Now, before we get into it, as I remind everybody every year, there's a whole ocean, uh, end of the world garbage and Protestant errors floating around, and we don't want to fall for any of it. If you got any of this stuff, this Hal Lindsay stuff, this left behind stuff, here's what you do. Pick it up, open the door of the wood stove, chuck it in, close the door. Don't have that stuff around your place. Okay? The teaching of the Catholic Church is very clear. There is no such thing as the rapture. There is no such thing as this millennium, the so-called thousand-year reign of Christ our Lord. He came to us visibly the first time as a baby on his mission of mercy. And he'll come to us visibly and finally the second time at the end of the world as our judge. There's not an in-between or two-and-a-half time or whatever. He comes twice. Christmas, the first Christmas, then everybody out of the pool. That's it. There is no rapture. There's no millennium. That is it. Keep that stuff out of your mind. It's not the teaching of the church. Okay, a few more uh, introductory points. Today's gospel and all elsewhere, our Lord has commanded us to read the signs of the times. Watch ye therefore, because you know not at what hour your Lord will come. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth. That's our Lord speaking to us. Blessed is he that watcheth. So we're supposed to watch, but we know not the hour. So if we hear anyone setting dates when all these future things are come to pass, we need to remember the teaching of the Fifth Lateran Council. Quote, Preachers are in no way to presume to preach or declare a fixed time for future evils, the coming of Antichrist or the precise day of judgment. For truth says, it is not for us to know times or seasons which the Father has fixed by his own authority. Let it be known that those who have hitherto dared to declare such things are liars, and that because of them not a little authority has been taken away from those that preach the truth. Close quote, Ladder and Five. Preachers are in no way to presume to preach or declare a fixed time for future evils, the coming Antichrist, or the precise day of judgment. Those who have hitherto dared to declare such things are liars. That's the teaching of the church. So on the one hand, we're commanded to watch the signs. And on the other hand, we're reminded we can't be completely precise since no one knows the day nor the hour. Okay. Now obviously this is an exciting topic, but we're not supposed to have a chicken little, the sky is falling reaction to this stuff. We don't want to fall into a panic, okay? That great Belgian Jesuit, St. John Birchmans, gives us a perfect example of how we ought to react when we think about this topic. One day, during the time it was assigned for recreation, St. John Birchmans and his fellow seminarians were shooting pool. And one of the guys turned to St. John and said, Hey, if you found out the world was just about to end right now, what would you do? Without even looking up from his thought, St. John Birchman said, I would keep right on playing pool. Now that's not a flippant answer. What's the point? 
St. John Birchman's was supposed to be taking recreation right then, and he was. And he's supposed to be in a state of grace, and he was. In other words, he was doing just what he was supposed to be doing at that moment, and that's what our Lord expects of every one of us, to do our duty in our state of life and to stay in the state of grace. But then we're ready whenever we meet him, whether it be at the end of the world or the end of our particular world, which may happen today. We know not the day nor the hour. Okay? The most important thing is not when in history we live, but how we die. If we die in a state of grace, we're saved. That's the critical thing. It's not the exact point on the calendar of time. Where it is, it's what's my disposition when I pay, breathe my last. All right? We've got to die in the state of grace, then we're safe. Okay. Now, for the next two weeks, the church places the end of the world before our eyes. And this year, we'll rely mainly on the great scriptural commentary prepared some 400 years ago by another saintly Belgian Jesuit, Father Cornelius Elapide, who at the order of the Pope spent some 40 years assembling a line-by-line -line commentary on the scriptures from the works of the church fathers. He died before he finished Job in the Psalms. St. Robert Bellarmine finished the Psalms. Another Jesuit finished the book of Job. It's line by line. It's 21 huge volumes, line by line. Now, in order to appreciate this commentary, we have to understand what the word type means. What's a type? A type is a person, a thing, or an action that actually exists but besides its existence, it's also intended by God to point forward, to prefigure, to foreshadow a future person, a future thing, or a future action. Okay, so a type is a person, thing, or action that actually exists, which is also intended by God to prefigure or foreshadow a future person, thing, or action. Let's consider a few examples to see how this works. In the book of Judges, we see Jael. She's a woman who saves the people of Israel. How? By pounding a tent stake through the head of a sleeping enemy general. Later in the same book, we see the woman who saved Israel. How? By dropping an upper millstone on the head of another enemy general. In the book of Judith, we see Judith who saves the people of Israel. How? By cutting the head off yet another enemy general. Now, in each one of these cases, there are at least three types. Obviously, Israel exists of itself. But Israel is intended by God to prefigure or foreshadow the Catholic Church. So Israel is a type of the Catholic Church, okay? Now the generals, these enemy generals, really existed of themselves. But they were also intended by God to represent the devil and the enemies of the Catholic Church, okay? So the enemy generals are all types of the devil and the enemies of the church. And Jael, the woman who dropped the millstone, and Judith actually exist of themselves, but they were intended by God to prefigure her. And we can look right there and notice what Our Lady is doing. She's standing on the head of a serpent. When we consider these women and what they did for Israel, we get a pretty clear foreshadowing of Our Lady and what she does for the Catholic Church, okay? 
Same kind of idea. Now those are examples of types. So what's a type? A type is a person, a thing, or an action that actually exists, but which is intended by God to prefigure or foreshadow a future person, thing, or action. All right? So much for the introduction. Let's turn to the topic at hand. In 2 Thessalonians 2.3, St. Paul explicitly warns and teaches that the day of the Lord, the judgment day, the end of the world, can't come unless first there be an apostasy, a great falling away from the faith, a great rebellion from the true faith. And then in the wake of that apostasy, the great apostasy, the man of sin, the son of perdition, the Antichrist, be revealed. The fathers and doctors have explained what this apostasy means. For example, St. Thomas explains that this apostasy will be separation from the faith and from obedience to the Pope. Pope St. Leo the Great teaches that indeed the great apostasy will mean abandoning the faith and obedience to the Pope. St. Augustine adds that this event must precede the coming of the Antichrist. And St. Augustine adds that not all will abandon the faith, but few will retain it. For the next two weeks, we'll consider a historical period and a ruler that the fathers and doctors of the church have always considered to be very clear types of the great apostasy and antichrist. Okay, now why would we want to study this man in his times? Because the clearer we see the foreshadowings, the clearer an idea it will give us of the actual future realities that they point towards. Okay? So today what we want to do is consider some of the more prominent features of the apostasy in Jerusalem which happened around 170 B.C. We'll do this first by reading lines from the Holy Scriptures found in inspired books of 1st and 2nd Maccabees, and then we'll turn to that great scriptural commentary by Father Cornelius Elapidae. Let's get started. The inspired Word of God, quote, In those days... There went out of Israel wicked men, and they persuaded many, saying, Let us go and make a covenant with the heathens that are round about us. And some of the people determined to do this. Close quote. Cornelius Salapide. The leader of the wicked men was Jason, who treacherously managed to seize the high priesthood for himself. Why? So that into Judea he might introduce Gentile rituals and customs, and especially false religions and idolatry, and the attending unrestrained, unbridled, open lusts. Close quote. What's happening here? We see that those with the true faith, instead of carefully and scrupulously remaining faithful to God and avoiding pagan practices, and trying to convert their pagan neighbors by example and word, are actually turning away from their holy religion and allowing themselves to become paganized. Notice also that the leaders were priests. As a good priest, Dino likes to point out, whenever you see the church go down, it's always an inside job. Notice also there's a link between false religions, idolatry, heresy, and lust. Inspired Word of God. And they built a gymnasium in Jerusalem according to the laws of the nations. They built a gymnasium in the holy city. So what, Father? Every school has a gymnasium these days. Yes, but what we mean by gymnasium is not what they meant by gymnasium. It's a different meaning. Gymnos is the Greek word for naked. It was a place for naked exercises. 
among other things. So much for modesty. Now think of where they're at. Not only are they in the Holy Land, but they're in the Holy City. More details from sacred scripture. This is slightly edited and paraphrased. Quote, The high priest Jason began to bring over his countrymen to the fashion of the heathens, and he abolished the lawful ordinances of the citizens and brought in fashions that were perverse. For he had the boldness to set up a gymnasium and to put all the choicest youths in certain types of houses. Close quote. Now this will be a very highly paraphrased version of the commentary. Not only did this, the youth learn the Greek games such as the discus and so forth, but they were also corrupted by being taught all kinds of perversities. There were certain types of clothing as a sign of the types of immodest behavior. They were consecrated to pagan gods, which is to say demons, such as Astarte or Venus. The houses they lived in were connected to taverns. Actually, this whole commentary at this point is so bad, I don't even like reading it. It's written in Latin. Quote, here we're taught from the commentary, quote, here we're taught that just as a true religion is associated with purity and chastity, so impurities and lust are associated with false religions and heresy. Close quote. So as this apostasy progresses, we see immodesty, nakedness, and perverse behavior that might bring San Francisco and Boston to mind. Another slightly edited and paraphrased quote from the inspired word of God. Now this was not the beginning, but an increase and progress of heathenist practices through the abominable and unheard of wickedness of Jason, that impious wretch and no priest. It grew so bad that the priests were now not occupied about the offices of the altar, but despising the temple and neglecting the sacrifices they hasten to be partakers of the games and of the unlawful allowances thereof. And disdaining the honors of their fathers, they esteemed Grecian glories for the best. They followed earnestly the heathen customs and all things they coveted to be like them, who were their enemies and murderers." Close quote. It grew so bad that the priests were now not occupied about the offices of the altar, but despised the temple and neglecting the sacrifices, hasten to be partakers of the unlawful allowances. Cornelius Elapidae, quote, The allowances were called unlawful because these were young, shameless, lewd women. Close quote. So the priests abandoned and despised their priestly duties. Remember that a vast number of the sacrifices they were to offer up, and they're, they're neglecting their sin offerings. They begin to act like heathens, and they start running around. They're running to the most foul kind of entertainment, and with companions that have loose morals. The inspired word of God, quote, The temple was full of the riot and revelings of the Gentiles. Close quote. See, so have parties and pagan rites going on in the holiest place in the universe. The inspired word of God, quote, And women thrust themselves of their accord into the holy places. Close quote. Of course, since the beginning, since the time of Adam, the true worship of God, women were forbidden from this kind of behavior. In the temple, if a woman were to go into any of the holy places proper to the priests, the strict duty of the Levites was to kill her. There's plenty more, but we can all get the general picture. Now remember what a type is. A type is any person, thing, or action that actually exists but which is also intended by God to prefigure or foreshadow a future person, thing, or action.
Keep in mind that this apostasy is a type of the great apostasy. In other words, it gives us a prefigurement. Among other things, the Jewish people prefigure the Catholic people. The Jewish priests prefigure the Catholic priests. The Jewish temple prefigures the Catholic church and Catholic parishes. The city of Jerusalem prefigures the world. So based on the indications we've seen in the prefigurement of the apostasy, in the fulfillment, in the great apostasy itself, here's a few of the things we might anticipate seeing. A dramatic rise in immodest behavior and dress and perverse behaviors, most notably certainly politically correct, certain politically correct sins and those things associated with Boston. Catholics abandoning the true faith and the traditions of their fathers and turning to false religions paganism and worldliness. Catholic priests neglecting their priestly duties, especially the holy sacrifice of the Mass and the application of the once-for-all sin offering to sinners in the confessional. Catholic priests engaged in worldly entertainments and spending their time in the company of those with loose morals. Women invading the sanctuaries of the holy religion. The behavior inside Catholic churches becoming increasingly unbecoming disruptive and irreverent. So if we were heeding our Lord's command to watch, those would be some of the indicators that we should watch for. We also need to keep in mind that our Lord has appointed official watchmen to keep us posted. Let's hear from them. For the sake of time, the first two quotes have been edited. Quote, Who can fail to see that society is at the present time more than any past age, suffering from a terrible and deep-rooted malady, which developing every day and eating into its inmost being is dragging it to destruction. You understand, Venerable Brethren, what this disease is. Apostasy from God. There is a sacrilegious war which is now almost everywhere stirred up and fomented against God. And we find extinguished among the majority of men all respect for the eternal God and no regard paid in public or private life to God's holy will. Instead, every effort is used to destroy utterly the memory and the knowledge of God. When all this is considered, there is good reason to fear, lest this great perversity may be, as it were, a foretaste, and perhaps the beginning of those evils which are reserved for the last days. There may already in the world the son of perdition of whom the apostle speaks in 2 Thessalonians 2.3. Such in truth is the audacity and wrath employed everywhere in persecuting religion, in combating the dogmas of faith, in brazen effort to uproot and destroy all relations between man and God. Well, on the one hand, on the other hand, and this according to the same apostle, is the distinguishing mark of Antichrist. Man has, with infinite arrogance, put himself in the place of God, raising himself above all that is called God, in such a way that he has mocked God's majesty and, as it were, made of the universe a temple wherein he himself is to be adored. He sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself as if he were God. Second Thessalonians. Close quote. From the first encyclical of Pope St. Pius X on the restoration of all things in Christ, 4th October, 1903. Quote. Everyone should examine the world seated in wickedness, with his eyes and with his mind. Young people are induced to renounce Christ 
to blaspheme and attempt the worst crimes of lust. The whole Christian people are continually in danger of falling away from the faith. These things in truth are so sad that you might say that such events foreshadow and portend the beginning of sorrows. That is to say, of those things that shall be brought on by the man of sin, who is lifted up above all that is called God or is worshipped. 2 Thessalonians 2.4 But it is yet more to be lamented, venerable brethren, that among the faithful themselves there are found so many men who are laboring under an incredible ignorance of divine things and who are infected with false doctrines, who lead a life of vice without the light of the true faith, so that they seem truly to sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. There's a greatly increasing carelessness concerning church rules and discipline and of those ancient traditions by which family life is governed and by which the sanctity of marriage is safeguarded. The education of children is altogether neglected or else it is depraved. There's a sad forgetfulness of Christian modesty, especially in the life and dress of women. There's an unbridled desire for material goods. And lastly, a contempt for the word of God whereby faith itself is injured or endangered. But all these evils, as it were, culminate in the evil of those who follow in the example of the traitor Judas, either receive Holy Communion rashly and sacrilegiously, or else go over to the camp of the enemy. And thus, even against our own will, the thought rises in the mind that now those days draw near of which our Lord prophesied. And because iniquity hath abounded, the charity of many shall grow cold. Close quote. Pope Pius XI, on reparation to the Sacred Heart, May 5th, 1928. So encyclicals written roughly 175 years ago, the popes explicitly warned Catholics that it may be the beginning of the end. And since then, quote, we are overwhelmed with sadness and anguish, seeing that the wickedness of perverse men has reached a degree of impiety that is unbelievable and absolutely unknown in other times. Pope Pius XII, 1949. I, some, quote, I sometimes read the gospel passage of end times, and I attest that at this time some times, signs of this end are emerging. Pope, Pius VI, or Pope Paul VI, 1977. Quote, we are now standing in the face of the greatest historical confrontation humanity has gone through. I do not think that wide circles of American society or wide circles of the Christian community realize this fully. We are now facing the final confrontation between a church and anti-church of the gospel versus the anti-gospel. Carol Cardinal Wojtyla, 1976, shortly before he became a Holy Father, John Paul II. And of course, this last year we had the Holy Father speaking explicitly about the silent apostasy, which is totally afflicting Europe. He made these remarks on several different occasions. Okay, so for a century the popes have been reading the signs of the times and warning us that things are grinding to a close. We've got a pretty fair notion of approximately where in history we're living. Now what are we supposed to do? Let's remember God's in charge. He loves us. He knows everything. He knows exactly when in history he wanted each one of us to be born, to live, and to die. He's in charge. 
Let's not imitate Chicken Little. Let's imitate St. John Burstyn's. We each need to do our duty in our state and life. Our duty in our state and life. I have a particular state and life, and you do too. And what will we be judged principally on? How well we did the duties for our state and life. We need to get serious about our faith if we haven't been. We need to get serious about holiness. Say your rosary and your three Hail Marys every day. Say your prayers. Wear your brown scapular. Stop sinning. We're sinners. Identify where your problems are and knock it off. Go to confession about every two weeks. Make fervent communions. Put God first and become holy. Do your duty. It's pretty basic. Do your duty.